Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for the opportunity to be here as family. I thank you for the opportunity to open up your word together. I just pray that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to have, um, to have wisdom and ability beyond just our wisdom and ability. And I pray that in all this, we can honor you. So open our hearts up to you even as we open your word up to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, you guys, you guys make it a pretty easy uh, 20 years to, to be a pastor here, so I appreciate it. Um, it's a good family. But even if I'm here for 30 years, you realize that's, that's technically still only 20% of the history of this, of this church family. And uh, I'm reminded that it's, uh, it really is still just kind of a blip. So much of what we focus on in this life, it really is still just a, a speed bump. When you think about how how long this church has been around, how long the the capital C church has been around, how long we will exist with the Lord in eternity, and uh, I'm just reminded to think of where where we want to make sure that we invest our legacy. So if if 20 years from now people are quoting me by name, I feel like I've probably done a disservice because I don't I don't really want to be remembered that well. But if people are 20 years from now quoting stuff that they learned from me, but maybe don't remember how they learned it, that's great. That's that's what we want. So with the sweet spot is, you know, like 23 years from now, somebody being in a Bible study and running across the word but, or the word therefore, and going, aha, this is an important pivot point, and not remembering why. Or uh, reading about angels and going, these guys are scary. You go, yes. Or... Uh, reading about Peter and just in the back of your mind adding the stop Peter think you know that that's that's the important stuff that's the sweet spot we've been talking about Peter for the last several weeks and uh, it's actually been leading up in part to talking about first Peter so if you'd open up your Bibles to first Peter um, this is actually the the first series that I did as your pastor 20 years ago was to walk through First Peter, but Wendy wanted me to do it again as kind of a, um, a nod to that and a, an appreciation for 20 years in ministry, but also to see how being in a different sits and laden in life, you know, gives you a different perspective on where, uh, where things are at and how to read First Peter. So I, I want to look at this this morning and to remind ourselves of, of who Peter was, but also to remind ourselves of what it means that that we're just passing through this place, that this place is kind of a, a, a blip for us. So I want to just look at those those first two verses. I know, I know. It, 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 over the years, there have been sermons where I've done like 14 chapters, like two verses. I'm just going to look at two verses because they're the most densely packed two verses. And it's just the opening of the letter. In 1 Peter 1, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, Strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace to you be yours in abundance. It's like two of the most densely packed verses in Scripture. And normally I wouldn't do this. I don't I don't like sermons that do this, but this is these two verses, you, you just kind of have to look at almost word by word. It's not the right way of preaching. Preach through context. Look at the whole narrative. But there's so many words that Peter puts in here that's so tempting for us to just 
zoom right over. And if, by the way, you might find yourself going, I, I heard all this before. You know, I, this is the kind of stuff you talk about a lot. And I think I might have even remembered this sermon from 20 years ago. That's technically the point, okay? So if you find yourself going, it's not redundant. Yes, that's 20 years of redundancy. Blame Wendy. But when I look at this, I want to remind us that that we're listening to, to Peter writing this. This is this this is doofus Peter, right? But it's also post-Pentecost filled with the Holy Spirit changed Peter. So it's it's Peter who remembers how much of a doofus he has been in his life, but it's also years of chewing on the word, sitting in his boat all night, fishing, talking to Andrew and James and John as they discuss theology. Because throughout 1 Peter, he's constantly quoting scripture at length. In fact, in that sermon that we were just talking about from, from Acts, he quotes so much scripture. Even doofus Peter had read the Bible his whole life, right? This is something very, very important to him. So it starts off, Peter, and I need to stop there. Um, I don't know if you've ever taken a writing class, specifically like a journalism class, but they talk about the five W's, right? Who, what, where, why, and how. <laughs> Here, who, what, when, where, why. That one only works if you're dyslexic. Talk to, talk to Sarah. If you're dyslexic, that's a W. But who, what, where, when, why, how, six. Di- Point is, it starts with who. And he starts off by saying, I want to say this is from me. And we know who he is. We know he's a fisherman. We know he's a, he's a, he's a good guy. It's not that he was stupid, but he's a little dense. He always wanted to try to do the right thing, but he didn't always think it through. Which is why, again, the red letters that should be in your Bible that aren't most most consciously and most consistently had to have been stop, Peter, think. So it's like, hey, let's make tabernacles to all three of you. Stop, Peter, think. Hey, no, you'll never wash my feet, Jesus. Stop, Peter, think. Okay, wash my whole body. Stop, Peter, think. I'll never forsake you. Stop, Peter, think. Never, Lord. Stop, Peter, think. Zealous, decent, unthinking goof. And then came Pentecost. And all that zeal, all that goofiness, all that energy is focused with wisdom that comes from God. 3,000 people came to know the Lord in one sermon because all that goofiness, all that well-intended brainlessness is given a brain. I love Peter. I love Peter. It gives me hope that God can use a goof like me, like you. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And again, I, I hate doing this in general, but I kind of have to stop with each of these because there's so many words here that we tend to gloss over. What does apostle mean? A sent one, right? It comes from the same root word that our word epistle comes from. This idea of an epistle is a letter that has been sent out or a message. Apostle is a person who's been sent out with a message. So he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I was sent to you. Which is interesting because it's like, well, aren't you from here? 
I was sent to you guys. Go, but aren't you, aren't you from this place? And Peter says, kind of no. Not anymore. I'm, I'm not from here anymore. I'm, I've been sent to you from somebody else, from someplace else. It's like I'm an ambassador. I'm not just passing through this place. Same kind of mindset that Paul used in 2 Corinthians when he said, we're Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Isn't that still true for us today? Isn't it? I mean, it's both Peter and Paul seem to think they're, they're not really from this place anymore. They're just passing through this place. They're not supposed to live here. They're just sojourning here, just staying here for a relatively short period of time. Ain't nowhere on this globe our home. It's our mission field, right? Okay. Some of you just going, I assume it's rhetorical. It's rarely a rhetorical question for me, but yeah, okay. Yes, that's the way we should be looking at it. Now, I also appreciate those of you going, I get that it's a rhetorical question, but I also get he asks tricksy questions because this might come back to bite you if you say yes in a couple of minutes. All right? So for those of you going, ah, you're probably smart. <laughs> but to live alongside other people as an ambassador means to live alongside them, not, not ultimately as neighbors, as if I live here and you live next to me, but rather I'm, I'm sojourning here and you live next to me. I'm, 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 I've got a different set of values, a different set of customs, a different set of culture. Yes, I can speak to where you are. I, I want to be aware of the culture and the language of this place so that I know how to reach out to you, but I'm reaching out to you with my culture, with my language, right? Isn't that what an ambassador does? I want to learn I want to learn German so that I know how to reach to people who speak German. I want to learn the customs in France so that I don't inadvertently undermine my own ministry in France. Right? Well, we think about that about missionaries going to Austria or missionaries going to France. But aren't we all supposed to be missionaries? And you're not from this place anymore. So it's not that you want to live next to your neighbor and live like your neighbor, because then you're just a neighbor. What you want to be is an ambassador who says, I want to, I want to understand your culture, I want to understand your language, so that I can translate why I'm here into terms that you will understand. That's what I want to do. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that change how you do things? If instead of seeing yourself first and foremost as a citizen of Peoria or Illinois, first and foremost as a conservative or as a progressive Republican, Democrat, seeing yourself first and foremost as a man or a woman, seeing yourself first and foremost, instead of that, what if you saw yourself first and foremost as a Christian all the time? What would that do? in terms of how you treat your neighbor. If before I look at you as my neighbor, I look at you as my mission field, how does that, treat, how does that change how I treat you if you move your fence a foot onto my property? How does that change how I treat with the people that I'm 
at McDonald's with, if instead of seeing them as first and foremost the people who are ahead of me in line and taking forever, I see them as a mission field. First and foremost. How does that change things? How does it change how you look at your enemies? How many of those do you have? Because to be redundant, as I read it, we have two kinds of people on the planet, right? Those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ and those we dearly want to be. So instead of living out any given socio-political platform, I would rather live out the platform embodied and exampled by my Savior and do that. There are times where that's not mutually exclusive, where I can live like this kind of person and like a Christian. But what's my foundational principle? Purity of heart is to will one thing, right? I can, I can live a whole bunch of different ways, but only one thing is going to be the foundational principle that I judge the other principles by. Do I judge my Christianity by my progressivism or by my conservatism, or do I judge what it means to be progressive or conservative by my Christianity? Point is, if you were living in an embassy in Vienna, that embassy is not technically in Vienna. It's just nestled there, but that embassy is just a little pocket of the United States there in Vienna, right? Which is why people try to get to an embassy if they're seeking asylum, because they know if I could just cross into the embassy, I am now standing in the United States, even if it's in the middle of Austria, in the middle of Russia, in the middle of... I'm standing in America. Isn't that what we want our lives to be? Isn't that what we literally pray for? Isn't that what Jesus is praying for in the Lord's Prayer? Is to say, let us live each life here as though each step we're taking here is heaven. That this little chunk of America that I find myself in is actually a slice of heaven. That when people are interacting with you, it's not just interacting with a neighbor who happens to live in Illinois with them, but an ambassador of some place that is so fundamentally different that they look at you and say, explain to me the hope that you have and why this is so different than what I'm looking at. I want to live that way. And I stink at it, but I want to live like that because I'm not here on vacation. And I'm not living here by accident of birth. I am now, because of my rebirth, living here with a purpose. I've got a job to do. I'm an ambassador. Peter, an apostle, sent one of Jesus Christ. Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua, the Lord saves, Yahweh saves. But Christ isn't his last name, right? We kind of Kind of almost act like it is sometimes. Jesus, no, Jesus Christ. Oh, okay, you wanted the full name. You go, no, Christ isn't his last name. His last name is Josephson, right? Because he's Swedish. So, <laughs> Christ is his title, right? It means Messiah. It means anointed one. It means chosen one. Like God chose and anointed the Old Testament kings. Jesus is sent out by God, chosen and special. 
Peter says, and I was sent out by Jesus. Jesus is sent by God. He's the ultimate sent out one. And then I was sent by Jesus. And now I'm sending you guys out. It's a succession of everybody being sent out, being chosen and sent out. That's, this is just the return address on the envelope. But it's still worth stopping and looking at these words that he's using. If that's just the return address, what's in the center of the envelope? Who's this being sent to? To whom? To God's elect, strangers in the world. God's elect, that's an interesting word to use here. Because again, it's talking about being chosen. The way it's being used here is almost like we would use the term choice, like uh, you're talking about a choice cut of beef. You're the choice bit. You're the part that God chose. You're the part that God said, this, this is the good cut of beef. You're the, you're the beautiful part of my kingdom. God looks at you and says, you are the choice bit. Is that the way you feel? I'm not even asking, is that the way you feel? Do you feel like the, the choice bit? I'm asking, do you feel like that's the way God feels when he looks at you? Because it is. He looks at you and he says, I see my beloved child. I think of looking at Megan when she was a toddler and she was smeared with pizza because she's still not a clean girl. But especially when she eats, she just is a horror. And when she was a child, she was much worse. And she'd be covered with smeared chocolate and things. And you look at it and you go, that's so cute. And you go, technically it's hideous. And you go, no, it isn't. Because this is my child. And I look at her and I think she's beautiful. I think Alex is beautiful. They're so much better than your kids. Because they're my kids. You can laugh, but I know that's the way you feel about yours. There you go. That's the way God looks at you. He says, I look at you and I see somebody beautiful because you're my kids and I love you. You're the choice one. And it's interesting because this word up until this point has always only been used of the Jews. Of God's chosen people, set aside for God, set apart for God. And now Peter, Jewish Peter, says, I'm going to talk to all of y'all. All of you Jews and non-Jews alike, everyone in the church, you are God's chosen people. I don't care if you're Jewish or Gentile or Roman or Russian or Ukrainian. This book that was written for God's chosen people is your book. God's promises to his chosen people whom he loved, they're your promises. This is your truth. This is for you. And you're sojourners in the world. Again, you're not vacationing here. You're just passing through here, but living here for a short period of time. In fact, that's a fun word. It's an official Roman word, sojourners, being used here. It's the official Greek word that the Romans would use for people who are living in a country that they are not citizens of. You may be living in France, but you're not French. You have still retained your American citizenship. You have to keep getting a visa. You are not Austrian, even if you're living in Austria. You're a sojourner. You might even speak French. You might even have a French address, but you're not French. Do you hear how often this is coming up in this intro? This idea of you're not 
from here. I'm sent from someplace else. You're strangers in the world. You're sojourners in the world. You're ambassadors from another place. And you're scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. Scattered's another interesting word. I know, but it's, it's just so interesting. Scattered's this other really cool word. He literally says you're diaspora. Anybody remember from any of our history classes that we taught? What was the capital D, diaspora? Yeah, 587 BC when the Babylonians came and scattered the Jewish people, took them from their own homeland and forcibly repatriated it with Babylonians. And they said, that'll be the end of Israel. It wasn't, but they diaspora, they scattered the Jews. The Jews will still talk about the diaspora from 587 BC. And that's where they were scattered throughout the kingdoms of, 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 in the area. It's almost like what the, uh, what the British did in Northern Ireland in the 17th century. We're going to kick all the Irish out and we're going to repatriate it with Englishmen so that 400 years later, all those people in Northern Ireland think of themselves as Englishmen, yes? No, they just become Irish. And so, yes, this is people, wherever they go, they say, we may be scattered in Babylon. We may be over here and doing this. But wherever we go, even if we're in Athens, even if we have an Athenian address, even if we speak Greek, we're still Hebrew. We're going to teach our children Hebrew. We're going to tell them that we are Hebrew. We're going to meet together in synagogues and still worship. Even if we can't be in the temple, we're going to continue to meet together. We're going to continue to worship together because wherever we go, we are still God's chosen people. They can scatter us wherever. Hundreds of years later, when the Romans scattered them again in another diaspora, for 1,800 years they had no homeland. And they lived in Germany, and they lived in Russia, and they lived in the United States, and they had no homeland until what, 75 years ago this year. They came back because they never stopped being Israel wherever they went. Peter says to us as a church, I know you've been diaspora throughout the world. And that is a loaded term for anybody, especially any Jewish man, to be using in the first century. You've been diaspora But wherever you go, you are still God's elect. You're still the people of God, the chosen ambassadors of his kingdom. Take God's kingdom with you wherever you go. Because wherever you go, you're still Israel. So what's your home country? If you were Jewish, you would say, my home country is Israel. And one of these days, we're going to eat the Passover in Jerusalem. God's, God's will, hopefully. Maybe next year. Well, you're not Jews. So what's your real homeland? What's your real country? Because you can only have one. You can have dual citizenship in a whole bunch of different places, but you can only have one homeland. There's only one this is my real country. What is it? If you have made a decision for Christ, if you have been washed clean by his blood, if you've been bought and adopted into the family of God, then your homeland is heaven. Your homeland is eternity. And if the priorities of this place get in the way of that, if the priorities of this place make more sense to you at any given moment because... 
while you're living here, if the priorities of this place make more sense to you than the priorities of heaven, well, there's a word for missing the mark that way. What's, what's the word biblically for missing the mark? Sin. It's an archery term. You didn't hit the target. I don't ever want the priorities of this place to be my foundational priority. I don't, I don't want to think like that. I don't want to be like that. And I drop this ball way too often. I make, I make a god out of this place, whether you make it out of gold or you make it out of stone or you make it out of flimsy little pieces of paper that you shove in your pocket or you, you make it out of, I don't know, what else from this place can we make gods out of? I don't want to do that because I can only have one God and I don't want it to be this place. That's why Peter writes letters like this to remind us that you're ambassadors. You're a totally different country. So you want to live every day like you're just passing through this place, a visitor with a purpose. Luckily, like Peter, I also appreciate that I botch this. And I'm ambassador not only of perfection that's out there, an ambassador not only of God's love, but of God's grace, his unmerited favor, that God has forgiven me when I botch things, and I botch things. But God loves us, even if we're strangers in the world and we're scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, which is interesting. That's actually the order of places this letter would go if you passed it along a road from city to city to city. Because Peter's writing this kind of like Paul wrote Ephesians. It's not written to a given church. It's written to the whole capital C church everywhere. And that includes us, ultimately. You're scattered through Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia and apparently Peoria and Indiana, and anything else that ends in a, yeah. We're all Christians. We're all God's elect, God's chosen ambassadors. And how were we chosen? We are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And every good Calvinist says, Amen. Amen. Because he's sovereign, and he totally knows stuff. He knows stuff. He knows stuff before you know it, before it ever happens. When did God know this stuff? When did he choose us? Ephesians tells us he chose us in him before the creation of the world. He foreknew you. He knew everything about you before the creation of the world. God makes his choices, lasting choices, long before you or I choose anything, before history began. The other way of saying that is that God knows everything and knows everything about you, even all the stuff that you botch everything and chose you anyway. He's looking at the whole tapestry of history and he knows exactly what you're going to do and he loves you not because of anything you have done or anything that you will do, but in spite of all of that. Because he looks at you and goes, Peter, you doofus, I love you. Smeared with chocolate and pizza on the back of your head, Peter, I love you. Come here, eat some fish with me, man. God looks at my deficiencies, all of my gook, all of my sin, looks at me and he says, I still choose him because he's choice. He's special. He's one of mine. I made him. And in him I see something special, something beautiful. And that's what God looks at you and sees. Something special, something beautiful that he created. 
Don't ever let anybody pick on that. Would you let anybody pick on your kid? Somebody sits up there and goes, your kid's really stupid and ugly. Exactly. Wait, I wasn't directly talking to you. (laughs) You wouldn't let somebody do that. Should you let somebody do that to a child of God? Aren't you a child of God? I I prefer you not even do that to yourself then. Can you maybe prevent yourself from saying that about people like you? You've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. God's sovereignty and the sanctifying, the setting apart work of the Holy Spirit, making you holy, which doesn't mean that you glow and hover about a half an inch above the ground. That's not what holy means. Set apart. Like this, this is the sanctuary, right? We call this room the sanctuary. It means holy place or set apart place. Not because there's anything mystical about this, not even because there's anything special about this room in and of itself, but because we have set it apart and said, you know what, I'm not going to eat my lunch in here. I'm not going to do I'm not going to do just general everyday things in here. This is a set-apart place. I want to remind myself that when I'm here, I'm worshiping God. It's a set-apart place, a holy place, a sanctuary. But even that's technically the wrong way of looking at it because the whole building is supposed to be a holy place. Isn't it? The church is supposed to be a holy place. Of course, once I say it like that, When the Bible talks about being built into a building that honors God, is it talking about the bricks of a place like this? What's the church? We're the church, aren't we? We're the bricks that make up the building that's supposed to be holy and honoring God. We're supposed to be holy in the world, but not of the world. We're supposed to be the church, not some building somewhere. Where's the Holy of Holies where the Holy Spirit dwells? In us, we're the Holy of Holies. We're the temple of God. When we come together for worship in this sanctuary, in this holy place, it's not so that we can get all worshipped up. It's not so that we can get all mystical. It's not even so that we can feel jazzed and walk out going, wow, that was so cool. It's not why we're here. When we come here, it's to be reminded that we are supposed to be holy. When we come here, it's to rip that curtain from top to bottom and say there is nothing between us and God. Of course, that does suggest that it is conceivably possible that for some reason, unknown to science, throughout the rest of the week, sometimes we knit that curtain back up again that we have to keep ripping it open and reminding ourselves that we're holy and in the presence of God? Do we sew that thing back up and keep a distance between us and God on Tuesdays or on Fridays so that Sunday mornings we go, that's right, rip that thing. I think think Peter would say, keep it ripped. Keep it ripped. Paul says, pray continuously. Always be in God's presence so that we can always live holy lives. Why? For obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. I love that little crash course in the Trinity. God the Father creates and chooses us. 
God the Spirit changes us and makes us holy so that we can follow God the Son as Lord. One God, three persons, one sovereign plan. That's what we were created for. But even then, I can't even get to, just at the very end here, in sprinkling by his blood, you go, that's a weird metaphor. And I can't help but think of, 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 of Exodus. He's pointing us back to Exodus and, and the people's desire to obey him. In Exodus 24, Moses took the blood of the covenant and read it to the people, and they responded, oh, now that we know what God wants us to do, we'll do everything the Lord has said. We'll obey, right? Because, no, they should have, but they didn't. You and I tend not to. But Peter says, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, in Exodus 24, we're told that Moses wrote down everything that God had said. He got up early the next morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, set up stone pillars, and he sent for all the young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings, sacrificed young bulls, fellowship offerings to the Lord. And he took half the blood of this sacrifice and put it in bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar to cleanse it, the blood of the sacrifice to, de- to declare it to be holy, set apart for God's purposes. And then he took the blood, of, uh, the book of the covenant, read it to the people, and they all said, yeah. And then he took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Which is interesting because that's verbiage that Jesus pulls out later. Isn't it? At the Lord's Supper. This, this, in this bowl, this is the blood of a new covenant sprinkled on you but this is sprinkled to cleanse them with the blood of the sacrifice to cleanse them declare them holy to set them apart for god's purposes and in a world without detergent how would that sprinkling with blood have stuck with them the next day the day after the next month they're still stained with that blood you will always remember that help me out how long should our worship stick with us Shouldn't it stick with us more than just noon on Sunday? I'm not going to fling blood on you, but it should stick with you. The writer of Hebrews says, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, that sanctified them, that set them apart so that they're outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. How much more if we're sprinkled with the blood of Christ's sacrifice to declare us to be holy, set apart for God's purposes, living here but not really from here anymore, recreated to be holy, to be sojourners, ambassadors, obedient servants, beloved children, Chosen children of the living God. That's the relationship we were created for, recreated for. That's what we were designed for as Christians, stained by his blood forever. That's what we're supposed to be. Not from this place anymore, just sojourning here. As for how to do that, I could come up with a thousand different applications. You only need to come up with one. Just one. Find one application of this today. Find one. What one thing would God say today if you want to live like a sojourner, if you want to live like you're passing through, if you want to live like an ambassador next to your neighbor, but not just another neighbor? Here's what I'm calling you to do. Just one. And then 
encourage you to ask for that just one again tomorrow. And then on Tuesday, pray and say, Lord, just one. Give me one until it becomes muscle memory. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for the opportunity to, to be your ambassadors, flawed though we are, broken though we are. Thank you, Lord, that you are so much better than we are messed up. And I pray that you be glorified by everything we say and do. That where we step, where we speak, that's, that's an embassy of heaven. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.